Welcome to So Here's the Thing, where we share candid conversations that lift the veil on what it takes to find success, even if that means sharing a few unpopular opinions. I'm your host, Leili Amati. Grab some coffee or a cocktail, and let's get real. All right, you guys, I am so excited about today's topic because it is something that pretty much every single person in the world deals with on a regular basis. And I'm so excited to get some really awesome, tangible ways for us to all kind of learn how to cope with imposter syndrome. And we are being joined by Becky Mollenkamp, who is a certified business mindset coach who helps her clients dream and play bigger while also finding contentment in the here and now. And I'm really excited to kick it over to Becky to let her tell us a little bit about her journey. And then we can kind of dive into chatting all about imposter syndrome how to cope with it, how to deal with it, all the good things. Becky, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I can start off, I guess, just kind of with my journey and how I got to where I am now. It's a long journey of a life of shoulds. So I spent the first basically three decades of my life living what I thought I was supposed to do, being a quote unquote good girl and checking off all the boxes and just doing everything that I thought was right. And all of that kind of shattered from underneath of underneath me in 2010 when in the space of about 6 months my grandmother died my brother died of an overdose i got divorced and the process of getting divorced i was i had to lose my house because i couldn't afford it on my own and all at the same time it was on the heels of the great recession of 2008 2009 that then meant my business went from six figures to barely $14,000 um all all of that was going on which was a lot all at once. It was a lot for any human to take on. I spent a couple of years depressed, but what came out of that was that realization of like, I'm not happy. I had everything that sounded like I should be happy on paper. I had a custom home and a red BMW and could take vacations whenever I wanted and was making lots of money and like everything seemed really good on paper and I couldn't explain why I wasn't happy. But that whole process of losing everything forced me to kind of examine my life and make big changes and do the work that's needed to create the life I really wanted. And because of that experience, I realized I didn't, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing before, which was writing. I was a pretty successful writer. I worked at one of the biggest magazines in the country and I built up this career and then transitioned that into freelance writing and then a content marketing agency. I was doing all the things that, you know, I thought I should, but I didn't love it. And it was hard because it was something that everyone else said, oh, you're a writer at a big magazine. That must be exciting. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess it should be, but it's not. So what I discovered through that process of doing all of that hard mindset work myself was that that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to help other women stop with shoulds and feel empowered, live lives they really wanted. So that began that process for me of what does that look like? At one time, I thought maybe that meant personal training. Then I thought maybe it meant more traditional business coaching, but where I really finally got to in the last few years uh, was that, no, what I really want to help women with is mindset because to me, it all starts there. We can a lot of times think our way into believing that it's like, oh, if I just take one more course, if I just read one more book, if I just hire one more strategist, you know, if someone just gives me the right plan, then everything's going to happen. And that's when I'm going to, you know, suddenly have this career that I love or the life that I want. 
But what I've really discovered for myself is it's not about all of that. You have to dig deeper to understand what you really want, who you really are, what matters to you to be able to build that life. And it starts with a mindset and not until you do that work, will you be able to have those other things work because imposter syndrome or whatever sort of your form of self-sabotage is will continue to show up and continue to stop you until you've dealt with that. Once you've done that though, then that's when the magic can happen. Once you don't have imposter syndrome, as an example, constantly showing up and holding you back, well, then you're unstoppable. Then you can have a strategy and execute it. Then you can have an action plan and make it happen. But as long as that self-sabotage is still there, that imposter syndrome keeps showing up and you don't know how to deal with it, you fold, cave under the pressure of that, then nothing's going to change. No strategy will matter. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years is working with women who own businesses and helping them push through those mental blocks, those limiting beliefs to really create the businesses they want. And I really love it. Like I'm finally fulfilled, which is an amazing feeling. It came later in life than I might've liked, but it's great. Now I'm remarried with a husband who's wonderful. I have a son, which I never even thought I would have. I get to do work every day that I'm excited to do. Like I want to work. I can't wait to work, which is very different than it used to be. So it's, it's been a remarkable change in these last decade. That is amazing. I love hearing your story because I think that so many of us can relate to the feelings of just, you know, everything you described, even if it's, you know, we all have our own stories and we all have our own journeys and paths to get there. But I think it's interesting that there are so many common factors, like just even when you talk about things looking really great from the outside or looking like you have it all together. And then on the inside, you're falling apart, you're depressed, or you're going through a really hard time. And, and being able to kind of use the concept of shifting your mindset and changing your mindset, or in your case, coaching others through the different, you know, ideas of, of mindset shifts and changes and limiting beliefs and things like that. So I'd love to like hear just right off the bat, like where would you have somebody start in terms of like a a couple of things that people can do right now that are maybe small changes that will make larger impacts like into their mindset shifts and things like that. I think that a lot of times I, I don't want to generalize, but I think a lot of people when they hear like the term mindset they kind of are like, oh, well, that's like woo woo, or that's like not like a real thing that is going to limit me or hold me back in my business. But even just hearing you say like buying one more course, hiring one more coach, like getting one more strategy session, like it all kind of is an all encompassing circle. I'd love to hear kind of like a good starting point for people who have no experience in any kind of mindset work. Like where can people start? Well, and I totally appreciate what you're saying because I was scared. I still am not a fan of that kind of thing. And there is nothing wrong with woo-woo for people whom that works. It's not for me. And so, and not my clients because they come to me because I really am about practical strategies and methodologies that are based in science and, you know, in psychology and things that actually, I don't know, work. (laughs) I think, you know, crystals and all that can be great. For some people, that's what they need. But I think for a lot of us, what we really need is to like, just truly examine what's going on. I think most of my clients come to me because they've bought all the courses and done all the things and things still aren't moving. The needle's not moving in the direction they want it to. They can't figure out why. And they start to understand like, oh, I think it's me, right? It's this imposter syndrome that's coming up. Why does this keep coming up? Why do I get in my own way over and over again? And so figuring that out is important. And, you know, my work, obviously there's a lot that goes into it. So it's hard to sort of say like the first step, but really where I think coaching, mindset coaching picks up is all of my clients have had therapy or are in therapy. And I love therapy where therapy sometimes stops 
is it doesn't always take all of that you learn about yourself and say, how are these things showing up and playing out professionally for me in my career, in my business? We don't always examine that. It's more about like, I've, I've healed some old wounds. I've mended some relationships. I'm feeling a lot better, but then we can't understand like, why am I still getting stuck when it comes to work? Why am I still not, why do I still have a self-doubt when it comes to work? I thought I healed all this stuff. So where coaching kind of picks up is we sort of say, okay, what are those patterns that maybe you've uncovered in therapy or that we can talk about, but like, what are the patterns that you're repeating and how are they playing out in other parts of your life? Coaching isn't about therapy, so it's not about healing old wounds. That's not where we go, but we do some amount of reflection on what are the patterns? Where did those take root? What's that about? Because once you start to see it, you can't unsee it. So once you realize like, oh, this self-doubt isn't at all about this moment, but it's rooted in that thing that happened to me in fourth grade when you know my mom said I would never amount to anything, and that's what this is playing out about, Like it becomes harder in the moment to accept defeat to be able to back down and say, okay, I'm going to let, I'm going to let this thought win because it's not about this at all. And I'm not going to let something that happened to me in fourth grade continue to keep me from what I want now. We don't always make those connections though. So it's really about trying to uncover those patterns. So I think the first step that when I work with clients is we usually step start with looking back a bit and thinking about what are the patterns. And there's a great exercise called just a timeline, your lifeline, where basically you write out from birth to, you can do it till now. The most important years are sort of birth to 25 before your brain has fully developed and where you're making all of your decisions in life based on emotion because you don't yet have logic and reason. So those first 25 years are really critical, but all of it. And just writing down, what are all the major events that I remember? If you remember it, it's probably for a reason. It's probably important. And starting to look at what are the patterns? Like, was it, you know, like I didn't go to the college I wanted to. Well, why? Was there a belief that I was not good enough or whatever that thing was? I remember in fourth grade, like I said, like when my teacher told me that I'd never amount to anything. Writing those things down can help you start to uncover what are some of the patterns because usually people will find there's one or two sort of underlying fears that all of those things are rooted in. And once you can kind of figure out what that is, that can start to shift everything for you. So it's kind of a starting point, but a lot of that work is hard to do on your own. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds like most of what you've gone through, I'm like, or what you've talked through, I'm like, oh, well, this sounds like something that you really kind of need a sounding board or somebody to kind of like coach you through. So that that makes so much sense to me. I would love to hear a little bit more about your insights on imposter syndrome, like specifically and how it relates to running a small business or growing in your small business or just kind of like in the creative entrepreneurial world, how we can combat imposter syndrome as a whole. Sure. So imposter syndrome is huge. 70% of people suffer from it. I think it's even higher with women. And what's really interesting, it's even higher with smarter women. Women who are smart and high achieving women tend to be the ones who are most likely to suffer from this, which is rooted in a whole bunch of stuff around like patriarchy and culture and how we're raised and how girls are treated um, from an early age and told to be good girls like I did. And that creates a lot of limiting beliefs. We're put into this sort of fixed mindset and you can read about fixed versus growth mindset. But a lot of this is rooted in that. So it's very common and popular among women, smart women, where you think, 
it, it sort of leads to those thoughts of I'm smart. Why can't I figure this out myself? Or I'm smart. Why do I keep doing this to myself? If that feels familiar, then it's probably holding you back. And it's, it's a very common form of self-sabotage. That's what it is. It's your brain showing up, trying to stop you from doing something scary. It's trying to keep you safe, right? So that's what self-sabotage is. If anytime your brain is doing something, putting up roadblocks, designed to keep you safe, designed to keep you in your comfort zone, but because you're staying in your comfort zone, you're not pushing, you're not growing, you're not trying new things, you're not having your business get any farther along, right? So self-sabotage is actually something that's comforting. It's supposed to be a good, like if our brain's trying to do something good, it's trying to keep us safe. But when we don't want that to happen, it's frustrating, right? And imposter syndrome is the most common form that I hear from women, um, the most common way that they are sabotaging themselves. They're allowing that doubt to keep them from taking action. That voice in their head that says, you're not good enough. If you do this, everyone's going to find out you're a fraud. Everyone's going to know you don't know what you're talking about. They let that voice hold them back and stop but super common. It's keeping people from creating the businesses they want. It keeps them from doing podcast appearances. It keeps them from trying to sell a new offer. It keeps them from talking to people about what they do. Like it holds you back in everything. So learning how to deal with that is really important. And what people typically try to do when it comes to imposter syndrome, the typical like three most common ways don't work. And those are that people will try to ignore it. So I'm just going to push through, pretend like this isn't happening and do the thing anyway. They will try to yell at it, which is that like, oh, you're being so stupid. Why are you letting this thing hold you back? What's wrong with you? Or they will reason with it, right? Well, here are the four reasons why this isn't true and you should do the thing anyway. Like we use our logical brain, but it doesn't work. And this is why none of those work. Imposter syndrome is basically like a toddler. That voice that you're hearing in your head is not, it, it feels like you, it feels like your voice, but it's not. It's actually like an amalgamation of all these other things that have happened in the past. It's your parents and your teachers and culture and society and friends and all of these things that are now showing up to try and keep you safe, right? And that voice, because it's not you and it's not now, that voice is actually rooted in emotion. It's all of that stuff that happened to you before your brain fully developed, before you were 25, that happened when you were in a purely emotional state. You didn't have logic and reason. So that voice is emotion. And when we think of like a ball of emotion, toddlers, I think, are a pretty good example of that. And so that voice really is like a toddler. It's like that just pure emotional voice. So when you try to ignore a toddler that wants to be heard, what happens? It just gets louder. So trying to ignore that, like you might be able to push through a little, but that voice is just growing and growing inside of your head. It doesn't work. When you yell at that toddler, it just makes them feel really bad about themselves, but it doesn't change anything, right? It's only feeding the beast. So if you're yelling at that toddler saying, you're, you're stupid, why are you acting like this? They're only going to feel worse about themselves, not better. And then when you try to reason with a toddler, well, good luck. <laughs> Anyone who's ever tried that knows it doesn't work because that brain, it, their brains aren't there yet. They don't have logic reasons. They're emotional. So like what I think works best with imposter syndrome is treating it like a toddler. What works with a toddler? Well, here's what we know about toddlers. They need to be seen, heard, and loved. That's what they want. So when you have that toddler that's sitting there going, mom, 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 or, you know, help, hear me, hear me. All the other things don't work. What works is we see them. We get down on their level, right? We look, our, we look the toddler in the eyes and say, what's going on? What do you need? I'm, I'm seeing you, right? So with the imposter syndrome, that means saying, stopping and taking a minute to say, what's this about? What do you need me to know? I'm listening. Okay, tell me. Go ahead and tell me what it is. So then that means the second step is hearing. We want to hear what the toddler has to say. I see you. 
I'm listening. Now tell me what you want to say. We receive what they have to say. So we do the same thing with the imposter syndrome. We stop. We take a look at it. We listen to what it has to say. And then the third piece is loving it. So then we say to that child, we give them the compassion to say, wow, I hear that. That must be hard, right? Even if we think with our logical adult brains, like, oh my gosh, you know, that's not really that important to like, oh, you, you've lost your crayon. There's more crayons in the world. You'll survive. To that child, it means a lot. So they want to hear, wow, that's hard. I'm sorry you lost that crayon. That must be tough, right? So same thing with the imposter syndrome. I hear you. I see you. I hear you. I love you. Oh, that is hard. That must be hard to feel that way right now. Like that's got to be a scary thing. Right? Once you do that, then everything can start to shift. Then it's like the toddler that just needed to be heard. Once it gets what it needed, the toddler usually stops crying. It stops the fit. It's able to then process and move on. That's what's happening in your brain. It just needs to be seen, heard, and loved. And once you do that, it will start to quiet down. It's when we don't give it what it needs that it gets louder, it won't stop. But once we give it what it needs, then it sort of stops. The other thing that I think can be helpful to in that process is to remove it from self. Because again, we believe it's our voice, but it's really not. So when you can then sort of personify that voice that's in your head, give it a name, give it a face, ideally someone you don't like know and love. So maybe not your mom, but like mine is Kathy Griffin, who you know is a comedian that did red carpet stuff. And I chose her because my voice is the kind of voice that shows up to say like, who do you think you are to wear that? Right. And I kind of see Kathy Griffin as being one of those people who's kind of like, oh, who does she think she is to wear that outfit? Right. Who just kind of has nothing but negative stuff to say about people. But once I personify it, then I can say when I see it, it's like, oh, there you are, Kathy. Okay. I, okay. I'm going to listen to you. What do you have to say? All right, tell me what you got to say. And then the loving piece becomes the compassion part. What can I see about Kathy Griffin that I can relate to, that I can understand? Well, I remember being in high school and not knowing any other way to make myself feel good but to put other people down, right? So I can say like, oh, I see you, Kathy. It's not me, it's you. I get it. Here's that voice again that's not me. I hear you. Here's what you're telling me. Okay, fine. I'm hearing you out. And then I love you, meaning okay, that must be hard. It must be hard to have to put other people down to make yourself feel better. I've been there. That's rough. That's a hard thing to do. Then once you do that, then you can go to the place of, and now what's my choice? The choice I'm going to make here is the same. No, I'm not. I don't need that this time. Thanks. I heard you. I see, I see you. I hear you. I love you. I don't need you. I can take action anyway. But you have to kind of go through those other pieces to be able to take action. When we jump straight to action mode, we're not allowing ourselves to feel our feelings. And when we don't, they do not go away. Yeah, that's so insightful. I feel like it gives a really good framework for kind of being able to position yourself in a way to acknowledge and see what is going on before you think of ways to kind of like combat it or overcome it. Because I do think that a lot of times we simplify or oversimplify in our minds like, oh, you're, you feel like an imposter? Well, stop. Like, I mean, there's not really a lot of steps there. And I know that we see a lot of things on social media that kind of give us this kind of blanketed like encouragement that it's love, it's lovely. It's really nice to see somebody say like, you are enough. Like this is, you should not feel like an imposter, but the actual like deep work that should be done in conjunction with it is usually not happening. So I appreciate you sharing that insight with us as well. Before we like wrap up with the whole unpopular opinion signature question. Are there any other like action steps that people can take that business owners can take when they are thinking through ways to kind of combat their imposter syndrome? Just like maybe some quick tips that people can have in the back pocket. 
Well, and so once you do that kind of the deep work process, which can, I will acknowledge, feel a little woo-woo. If you're not a woo-woo person, it feels a little woo-woo, but I promise you that all of those steps and all of the reasoning behind it really is rooted in psychology. It's rooted in science. It's not just like, oh, this feels good, but this actually is the stuff that our brains need to start to be rewired. So just, I want to put that out there too, like, cause I know I'm not very woo woo either and it can feel a little woo woo, but I promise you there's reasons that actually are rooted in science for doing those things in that order. Yeah. And I'll back you up on that. I mean, I, most of the high level coaches that I've worked with or talked to or seen in action, the most successful business owners are the ones that do a ton of mindset work. They do a ton of reflection. They have life coaches. They have mindset coaches. They're not solely focused on business coaching and business strategy on its own. They use it in conjunction with their own mindset and belief systems and things like that. So um, I would encourage anybody who's listening to be like really open-minded about it because I think it is beyond the whole like woo-woo factor of it. I think it's it's definitely more into the um, the way to stop limiting yourself. But anyway, continue with your back pocket too. No, sure. Well, because also just sort of related to that, there's sort of three pieces of making change. And I'll just simplify it a lot, but it's like feel your feelings, figure out what the facts are, and then take action, make a choice, right? But most people live most of their lives in one of those areas. So you're, you might be the kind of person who tends to get stuck in your own feelings and you can't get past that. Or maybe you're somebody who stuffed your feelings, doesn't even go there, and you just tend to live in logic and reason. I'm just going to figure out all the reasons, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe you're somebody who's just like, I'm just going to take action. I'm just constantly trying to make take action and just do things, right? I'm a, I'm a go, go, go. Any one of those pieces by itself isn't very effective. And that's the problem is most of us get really comfortable in one of those three zones. You kind of have to be able to push through all three of them. So it starts with the feelings, our most basic part of our brain. We have to feel those things because when we don't feel our feelings, they don't go away and they just build up and they will eventually get you, I promise. So like it's learning how to feel the feelings and not until you have felt the feelings, you move on to the logic and reason part and not until you have done that piece do you move on to taking action. That's how the most effective leaders and the most effective business owners operate. They feel the feelings. They don't just avoid it. Then they think about what is, what's the logical steps here? What's the, the stuff that I need to reason and figure out within this? And then where do I take action from that informed place? The second piece of that, the logic and reason, is where I would say you get into the refuting and reframing process with imposter syndrome. So once you've done the feeling part, see you, hear you, love you, then you can move into, okay, how do I begin to refute and reframe this? Meaning my imposter syndrome is telling me I suck. What's the proof that I have that that's not true? Let me refute that, which is where having a ongoing like diary of all of the nice things that have ever been said about you is really useful. It's not just feel good stuff, which it does, but it's useful, it's practical because we, our brains are wired in a way that we remember negative much more than positive. So in those moments that that voice pipes up and says, you suck, it's hard for you to just remember all the good things about you because your brain is flooding your mind with negativity. It's what it does. So having a space where you can go and say, oh, here's all these nice things that were said about me, or here's all these things that are factual about me. It doesn't just have to be praise. It can also be, I have a degree in this thing. I have X number of hours doing whatever. So looking for factual things that refute what that voice is telling you, and then getting into a place of reframing what it's saying. So if the voice is saying, 
I'm not good enough, then you can say, well, actually I have had 50 satisfied clients who've left, left me with, you know, 10 testimonials that's earned me X number of dollars, whatever, or if the, if the and, and I am good enough. And that tells me I can do it. Or maybe the voice says, I don't know enough. Well, then you can say, well, I actually have a college degree in the subject, or I've, I've worked X number of hours or years doing this thing. I have this number of, you know, clients and, and hours with those people, whatever it is to say, okay, actually my brain is saying, I'm not, I don't know enough, but the truth is on paper, I do know enough. So that process can be really helpful. And I have a workbook, if your listeners would like to grab it, that is, it's an imposter syndrome workbook that kind of starts at this piece. After you've done the see here, see here and love part, it's the getting into how do we begin to refute and reframe so that we can move forward and then get into the action piece of like, what's my choice? I'm going to do something different here. So if people want to grab that, they can get it at beckymollencamp.com slash thing and find out there. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. And we will link to that in our show notes as well. You guys, um, that's so helpful. I think that just having like really tangible tactical things that people can do is, is gold. So I'm excited about that. Um, okay. And then just to kind of wrap up the episode and I know we chatted about this previously, but like, what is your unpopular opinion about imposter syndrome as business owners? I don't think that you can get rid of it. There's no like just ending imposter syndrome or beating imposter syndrome or getting over imposter syndrome. It won't ever go away. Your brain is hardwired to be fearful and to keep you safe. And that's what imposter syndrome is doing. And I can tell you as somebody who's done a lot of this work and who does this work with others, I still have plenty of moments where my imposter syndrome shows up and I have to go through all the same process again. It's about doing it again and again and again and again. And you can slowly start to rewire your brain. What I have found is it doesn't come up as often as it used to for me, but it still happens. The biggest difference though is once you do the work, when it shows up, you can get out of it much faster. You can keep it from holding you back. That's what changes. So I think some people will, maybe it's just because it's shorthand language for you can work on your imposter syndrome, but there's a lot of stuff out there about like beating imposter syndrome, stopping imposter syndrome. You can't really. It's learning how to deal with it. Yeah. I love that. I, I agree that it's definitely not one of those like deal with it and then forget about it because it's over now kind of things or kind of topics. It's something that I think needs to always be at the forefront of like, how can I continually work on this in my business, in my personal life, all the things. So I, I would have to second that. Thank you so much. This was so helpful. And I'm so excited for our listeners to get to hear about it and to get to work through your workbook. You are awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. I really appreciate it. For show notes and resources mentioned on today's episode, head to so here's the thing podcast.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to read your review in iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.